Welcome to the FitMind Project. My name's Barry Ash and along with my wife Laura Ash, we are the founders of Rock Solid Health and the Freedom Programs. We believe that everybody should have access to a simple and supportive way to transform their health and their well-being, both physically and mentally, so we can feel better than we currently do. Our aim is to bring together a community of like-minded people who want to transform their habits and their behaviors using the rock solid method so they can take ownership of their health and their well-being. With this podcast, we're going to be having conversations with some amazing people that will help and inspire you to take back control of your lives. As we believe when we are healthier, we are happier. In this episode, we have one of our first ever mentors. He is a true legend. His name is David Thompson. David has dedicated his entire life to mastering the art of influence and persuasion. He studied under the master himself, the social psychologist who is Dr. Cialdini, and he's only one of six people in the entire world that can teach his principles of the art of persuasion and influence. David's passion for what he does is palpable. He is a true legend and he's a true friend of ours. So without further ado, let's head over to the conversation. Welcome to this pretty cool um, webinar. And I tell you what, I'm really excited about this one. I know I say I'm always excited, but I'm uber excited about this one because like today, guys, we really do have a true master of influence of the right attitude in life, which we all need, which you're all going to find out about. Um, and today we are joined by one of our very special friends and one of our own mentors as well, David Thompson. Now, what can I say about David? I mean, charismatic, energetic, um, positivity, um, like a little Duracell bunny of, he will just empower you and enlighten you. David is one of the most successful people that we know. um, And he has studied under a multitude of masters, including Dr. Robert Caldini, who is kind of like the master of social psychology. And David is only one of six people in the whole of the world who can teach his principles. Um, David's backstory is phenomenal and it will leave you guys jaw dropped and I'll tell you what the excuse of I haven't had the right upbringing or you know I haven't grown up with silver spoon in my mouth will literally just completely quash that today without a shadow of a doubt right so uh, so guys we're really looking forward to this um, and so David welcome to today yeah thank you great to see you guys hopefully I can add some insight some energy and um just a frame on life that you might like, enjoy, and have some fun with. Absolutely, because we all want to win at life, right? And we've got to have the right attitude to do that. Yeah. So, David, I'm going to kick this off and just ask you, you know, look, what is it that has been your kind of story in terms of how you have mastered this whole thing of you know, being able to influence your life positively and kind of where that's come from, your journey to that. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, I'll tell you my story. So yeah. growing up, we grew up really poor, like really, really poor. Like people talk about dirt poor and then there's David the Thompson's poor. It was, you know, like absolutely poor. I remember um, we, when we lived in Rothwell in the middle of the 70s and we had the electric car off. Now, that might sound bad, you think we had the electric car. If we had one of these electric meters, you put 50p in, and then, um, you know, then you got some more electric. Well, my dad broke into the electric meter to get all the 50p's out. He wanted to put it in and collect at the same time. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, they cut the electric off, but we never had any gas. So we never had any gas at all. And uh, I remember back in the day, uh, there used to be these Hoover Hoovers. Before Dyson made a Hoover, there was a Hoover that made the Hoover. And they used to have a great big long lead on them that went all the way around the house. And we had uh, two Hoover Hoover leads going through our house into the next door neighbor's house just so we could get some electricity into the house. You know, we're, we're, we're poor. We're evicted from our council house a couple of times. And um, 
yeah, life was tough growing up. By the time I was 10 years old, I'd lived in nine different houses, been to five different schools. That's the school every year. Wow. And in terms of the houses, one of them was a battered wife's home because my dad was an alcoholic and an abuser. Um, in fact, he liked to drink. He liked a lot of drinks. In fact, he could have drunk for England if he'd been English, but he was Scottish. And, um, you know, and I was in a children's home for a while. So, you know, the chances of me being successful, you know, by most people's um, take on life were very limited, very small. But, you know, you don't, you're not how you start out in life. You what you learn in the experiences you have. So at 16, I was lucky enough to leave school with zero qualifications. And I hated school. I didn't see the point of it. You know, for me, the big thing about life that mattered was winning. I always liked to win things. And, you know, you, I certainly wasn't going to win anything at school because I was dis I'm dyslexic. So learning things, I was quite slow. But 16, I joined the army. I became a soldier. And I'd like to say I absolutely loved being a soldier. And it was a great thing for me. But I didn't. I found it tough. That discipline, that order, that structure, those processes. You know, initially, I found it really tough. But... What I learned was that it was good for me. It was exactly what I needed at the right time. So at 21, 1990, I left the army and I got a job in Dr. Martin's shoe factory, which, you know, where, again, most people would think Dr. Martin's, that's the old airwear boots, the bother boots. I don't know if you've ever had a pair. You've ever seen oh, I have had a pair of Dr. Martin's, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the yellow stitching, so everyone's seen them. So I worked in the boot factory, um, shipping those things around the world. And... Um, it, it was a really good experience because I learned about the importance of consistency, consistently doing something. Because in manufacturing, if you produce, if you want to produce any footwear, you have to be consistent. So I learned about that. And while I was working in Dr. Martin's, I, um, I, I, I sort of fell in love. Like my first love was a girl called Lisa, uh, Lisa Fenwick, and her um, brother-in-law, a guy called Paul Eilif, and he sort of took a shine to me. And he gave me a book, which was called The Success System That Never Fails. The Success System That Never Fails by a guy called William Clement Stone. And that book changed my life. It absolutely changed my life because it taught me that in order to be successful, there's only three things you need in life. First thing is inspiration to action. action actually getting off your ass and doing something. So, you know, if you actually do something, you've got a chance you buy a ticket activity knowledge so know about what it is you're working in and then know how and so from reading that little book i got a job working in the financial services industry as a financial advisor in 1990 and i always had a good a decent gift to the gap but zero qualifications and next squaddy is hardly the right setup for success and a year after becoming a financial advisor i actually got a job in an estate agency business called connell estate agents as a mortgage advisor and I couldn't even spell mortgage at the time. I mean, why would you put a T in mortgage? No, I don't. Gage. Where do they get these words? So anyway, after seven interviews, Ken Waller eventually gave me the job working in Connell's estate agents as a mortgage advisor. And I was like, what do I need to do? And they said, well, these people will come in here and they'll buy a house. I was like, right. And when they do, all you've got to do is persuade them to do the mortgage with you. I'm like, okay. What, what, how does that work? Well, you get them the money from the bank. I'm like, well, which bank? They're like, any bank. You can use any. You can shop around them all. All you have to do is flog them the insurance from Scottish widows. I thought, <laughs> shoot fish in a barrel. How much do I get paid for each one? And they were like, about 150 quid. I was like, so before I knew it, I'd done four in a week. And I was like, I was only earning 130 quid in the shoe factory. So I'm like, I've just earned as much in a week as I had in a month. I thought, oh my God. And I thought, I've not done any work because in the shoe factory, it's manual labor. Yeah. I'm just sitting there talking to people and paying me four times. <laughs> wow. How can I believe that people do this? So I thought, I have to keep this. I have to keep this. And so in order for me to keep it, I kept asking, how do I master this? How do I master sales? How do you become a master? And it was like, well, what you need to do is you need to copy Sharon. And Sharon was the boss and she was the other mortgage advisor. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but that's not it. You know, like in the army, we have procedures. In the shoe factory, we have consistency. What do I need to do? And they were like, well, you need to know about negotiation. You need to know about framing, about influence, about neurolinguistic programming, about... I was like, well, who can teach me this? And I was like, 
or, or you have to learn it on your own. So I started buying audio books because I'm dyslexic. I can't bloody read them. Like, oh. I was the kid at school. Do you remember the kid who stuttered when you had to read things out like, the cat, and people would laugh at me. And I was like, oh, I used to hate it. Yeah. But anyway, so I found you could get these cassettes at the time from a company called Nightingale Conan. I used to put them in my car. And I figured this, right? If you want a superpower, right, a real, real superpower, then how do you get it? And I thought, well, you're going to have to have inspiration to action. You're going to have to be inspired to get off your ass and do something. Yeah. And at the time, I lived in a town called Kettering, and I used to drive to work, uh, and it was a place called Wellingborough. And every day, it was 20 minutes to get to work. So I thought, if I listen to this audio book, this program on negotiation, on questions, on influence, on Socrates, if I listen to them every day, and it takes me 20 minutes a day to get to work, then 20 minutes to get home, that's 40 minutes a day. If I do that five days a week, that's 200 minutes a week, 800 minutes a month. And I thought, if I work 10 months a year, that's 8,000 minutes a year. I thought, oh my God. I thought, I'm not listening to the radio anymore. So I turned the radio off. And every time I got in my car, literally all of the time, I would just be listening to audiobooks. And what, what that did for me was, if I got stuck in traffic, I'd be like, I'm not bothered, I'm really enjoying what you know, Napoleon Hill was teaching me or what these greats were teaching me, Zig Ziglar or whatever they were at the time, were teaching me. I was thinking, I must listen to this book. I was, like, I was almost like taking time, letting people out of junctions. People are thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let them out, let them out. I'm enjoying it. So I'd listen to the audiobooks. And it made me more patient and it made me program my subconscious mind, my self-image. So I became a self-builder. I built a better version of me. So I kept listening to these books. And before I knew it, I'm listening, listening, listening every day about positive mental attitude, about negotiation, about framing, about influence, about Socrates, all of these things. Before I knew it, I got really good at you know, understanding what they were saying. And then I became literally within no time, the top financial advisor in the whole of the, whole of the country in the UK in financial services. I was the number one guy. So 20 years ago from now, like if you go back, we're in 2020, okay, 20 years ago, more than 20 years, 25 years ago, I was earning 130 grand a year. 130 grand a year as a financial advisor. I had a PA, a lady called Linda, Linda Whitmore, she was my PA. I had a five series BMW. I was thinking... God, how this is amazing. It literally changed my life. So the, the knowledge that I'd got changed my life. And I thought, oh, you know, the, the, it was just incredible, you know, the transformation from being the kid in the council house with, you know, the alcoholic parents that's dyslexic. All of a sudden I started listening to these books and implementing them into my life. And I remember thinking, I think I can't be the top financial advisor in the country. You know, like I was thinking I can't be. So I'd, I'd meet somebody else that'd be the number two. And I'd think, well, what do you know about negotiation, about neurolinguistic programming, about framing, about a positive mental attitude? They go, oh, nothing. I go, well, your shit must be somebody else. <laughs> and yeah. all of a sudden, because I knew more and I implemented it, and then what happened was my life was changed forever. And it, and it was changed for the better. But the, the real big thing that I learned at the start that changed everything was this. It was about a positive mental attitude. Okay. And, and if, you, if you go back in the day, right, to when Jesus Christ was about, there was a philosopher. There was a philosopher, and uh, he was a Stoic philosopher, and he was called Seneca. And philosopher, philosophy is philo is love, and sophos is wisdom. So philo and wisdom. So love of wisdom. And this philosopher, Seneca, what he said was, a consciousness of wrongdoing is the first step towards salvation. Yeah, get it. So you have to know what you're doing wrong before you can correct it. Yeah. So you think, right, okay. So I thought, well, okay, if that's the case, then so if you know if somebody's in the gym and they're doing like i don't know like and they're doing them wrong and you think no you're not doing that because you don't understand the muscles you don't understand what you should be doing yeah so the same thing i so I, I learned that early on and i love philosophy you know because the love of wisdom is it's just brilliant you yeah. know socrates being my favorite of all times but anyway if if you look at a positive mental attitude the biggest thing that you need to do is define what it is and what it isn't yeah. And so for me, from what I learned from working with a guy called William Clement Stone, 
who was the guy that wrote the first book that changed my life, I learned that the definition of a positive mental attitude is this. It's the right mental attitude in any given set of circumstances incorporating the plus traits of life. Words such as hope, faith, and integrity. Yeah. And it's the mindset of PMA equals can do, will try. Yeah. So it's the right mental attitude in any given set of circumstances incorporating the plus traits of life. PMA equals can do, will try. But it's about having hope for you, for other people. It's about having faith in the system that it will come through. And then having integrity. And integrity is a set of standards you won't drop below irrespective of circumstance. Yeah. And I've got a funny story on integrity. Okay. I, um, I, was, I was in the army and I was doing my NCOs carder. And there was this guy there that was taking it. It was ex-Special Forces and his name was Captain McDonald. And uh, you know, we all think we know what our version of integrity is and it's doing the right thing and whatever. But anyway, I, um, I was doing this NCO's carder and every night Captain McDonald would literally bust our ass. We'd have to be in there at seven o'clock in the morning, which meant getting up at half five and preparing for the day. We never finished till midnight. But Captain McDonald insisted we have this thing called a lesson plan. A lesson plan because you're training to get a stripe and you have to plan the next day's lesson so anyway i've done my lesson plans forever every week two weeks i've done my lesson plan never needed it this one day just the, the one day when i never got my lesson plan i never took my lesson plan i got to the thing captain mcdonald said thompson you're taking the lesson today on weapons drill and um, where's your lessons plan i just said oh i forgot it so i've left it back in my room and he said, go and get it. Go and get it. Now, at that point, you think my feet were tied together. I was walking like <laughs> 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 Oh, my God. What can I do? And I, I said, sir, I, 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 didn't, didn't, I didn't do it. I forgot. I, uh, you know, I, I said I did, uh, I did it. Uh, I'll show you the other 13 that I'd done. I just didn't know. And he said, Thompson, you're lucky I don't kick you off of this course. And it was a big course. It was to get a stripe. It was to be one of the bosses. He said, what you've done, he said, is you've broken your integrity. And he said, do you know what integrity is? He said, integrity is a set of standards that you don't drop below irrespective of circumstance. It's a set of standards. And I thought, okay. So that's what integrity is. So faith, having faith that things will turn out well, hope that the future will be better than integrity, having that set of standards you don't drop below irrespective of circumstance. Yeah. And if we ask people what the opposite of a positive mental attitude is, most people will say what? What would we say? Well, it'd be a negative one, because you always think positive and negative are opposite, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and they probably are. Probably the opposite of positive is negative. But what happens if you're negative with somebody or something? How do you feel? If you're negative, you're slagging somebody off. You're it, judgmental. It brings you down your energy level so right. low. And you... Yeah. You feel like you're stuck. Yeah. yeah. And so it's hard to be negative, right? It's really hard to be negative. The definition of a negative mental attitude, from my perspective, is this. It's the wrong mental attitude in any given set of circumstances yeah. incorporating the negative traits of life. Yeah. NMA equals can't do, why try? Yeah. So whereas PMAs can do, will try, NMAs, why try? But here's what I profess, here's my, my thing. I don't think that is the opposite of a positive mental attitude in terms of how people behave. Right. I don't think it's what happens. So what, how people behave is a negative mental attitude's best friend, which is called inertia. Yeah. Inertia. How easy is it to say, I'll put it off, I'll do it tomorrow? Oh my gosh, oh, the amount of people, like, especially in our industry, I'll do it on Monday, I'll do it on Monday, and Monday is a day that is never there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Monday, so action is, is the mother of, you know, of all achievement, you have to do things. So every time what happens is, and inertia is like Circa, so there was a Greek goddess called Circa, who used to turn men and women into pigs, into swine by saying, stay here, do nothing. And it's from Homer's Odyssey, which is like a book from years ago. And it was, Circa would turn you into a pig. And if you think about it, if you sit there just eating all the time, you're a fat pig. If you don't do any work, you're a lazy pig. 
but so my my preface is this the opposite of a positive mental attitude is inertia it's not that we go that we bitch and moan and whinge and and get our try because even if we do that for a while we feel bad yeah. so that's not tend what most people tend to do what we tend to do is we tend to go inert we tend to just sit on our hands and say and so we just leave things till tomorrow yeah yeah and to overcome inertia what we should do is we should use a self-starter and i think i've got something over here. i think i've got it. let me just have a little look love it i've got one of these things over here this is one this is one of my favorite self-starters i don't know if you can see it's backwards or not but that says do it now yeah right so do it now as a self-starter and what a self-starter is it's a word or a phrase that springs you into action do you remember the film finding nemo yes yeah so what did dory say when marlin wanted to give up just keep swimming just keep swimming, keep on swimming, just keep swimming. Yeah. That's a self-starter. So when, when you go to go inert, what, remember what Marlin um, was told by Dory, just keep swimming, keep on swimming. Yeah. And what, what you can find is if you can take um, Seneca's saying into account, i.e. a consciousness of wrongdoing is the first step towards salvation. When you find yourself going inert, because that's where we tend to go, Right, and we don't feel too bad being in there because it's okay to just leave it till tomorrow, put it off till yeah. whatever. Right, we should remember, come on, you think, how can I just keep swimming? How can I do the things that I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do them? Right, and then I can do the things I want to do, I want to do them. One of my favorite sayings is every adversity, that means everything bad, has the seed of an equal or greater benefit, right? You know, that's one of my favorites because everything is bad or something equally as good about it. Nobody gets a great life. You know, if you see somebody, you know, and somebody um, like my father, a great example, my father, he died of cancer in 1998, right? And it was terrible, terribly died. But my mum gave up smoking at the same time. Now, my father wasn't a particularly nice person. He used to beat me up. He used to beat my mum up. I'd have set him on fire and killed him myself for wanting to give up smoking and get an extra 20 years. So that was, the, that was the benefit. But it's only a seed. You have to water it and make it grow. Some people will be going through tough times now in terms of relationships. But then they might go out, get fit, get a new partner, or find a new interest, do something new. So it's about finding that seed and watering it and making it grow. And so that's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life in terms of embedding in my life the, 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 um, every adversity has a seed of an equal or greater benefit. And then knowing that being inert is not an option, taking some kind of an action. And a way to, to think about this is you think, well, I don't feel like doing it now, but you can always phone a friend. Yeah. You can always phone a friend. Now, there's people you don't phone, um, and there's a, there's a guy called Robert Greene who wrote The 48 Laws of Power. And Law 10 talks about the law of contagion. And contagion is about attitudes. And he said attitudes are as bad as diseases. You know, people that are unhappy and unlucky, you should avoid them. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can completely bank, blank them out your life, but you can avoid them because you might have a family member or another half, but you can try and limit your time with those people. So stick with the happy and the fortunate and maybe ring them up and say, hey, I've got this challenge. Maybe you could help me look at it from a different perspective. And if you take that on board, what tends to happen is that you start looking at things differently, then you think different thoughts and you have different actions. And, you know, God knows where, you know, the, the world can take us, as Buzz Lightyear would say, to infinity and beyond. And, you know, and that's where we all want to go. So however it is now, you know, if we want to go in that direction, we have to stop moving in that direction. And the first thing that tends to has to move is the thoughts, because then your thoughts get your actions and your actions get the outcomes. Yeah. And I think the self-starter is the most powerful tool that you taught me, David, back... <laughs> Was it nine, ten years ago when we first met? And it was din din. Do it now, do it now. And even now, I want to get in the gym. I can't be asked. I can't be bothered to do what I need to do. Make that phone call, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, David Thompson comes in the back of my head. Din din, Baz. Din din. And it's like, do it now. As soon as I say it, there's no, there's no other way. I have to go forward now because I think you trigger. That's your trigger to set up that habit, that attitude. So, you know, you just build them. You build them one at a time. That's how I learn things. And, you know, amazing things happen.
But that seed, it started off as a, as, a, as a word you gave me, but it's grown into something more powerful for me now. And it, it's, it's the thing that drives me forward to progress every single day. Because I've got on my board, what am I progressing at today? And I look at it and you, ding, ding, comes in, what have I got to do today to move me forward to the next level? And just one thing, one word, one step, one progression. And it's, it's, it's grown, it's, it's what made Rock Solid where it is today because we keep progressing. Yeah. And they, um, Sun Tzu said, a journey of a thousand step, thousand yards starts with a single step. So you have to do something to get something. You know, nobody's going to do it for you, you know, but what happens, things will either happen for you or to you. And it's like, okay, what do you do? What are you going to do differently? But it's by taking action that you get outcomes. And this is our life. And life goes by so quickly. It's like, you know, for me, 1990 seems like 10 years ago, but it wasn't. It was 30. It's like, wow. <laughs> crazy, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky I'm a black guy, though. So, you know, we don't date the same, so we tend to last a bit longer. <laughs> and by the way, I don't go for this Black Lives Matter. I think racism, in real terms, in 50 years' time won't exist because everybody will be mixed race. So I don't go for this. I think all lives matter. And, you know, and if we think we're having tough times now with Black Lives Matter, we only have to look at what's been going on in Syria. And, you know, some of the things that are happening there, that, that, that's way, way bigger than, you know, than what we're talking about in terms of racism. You know, we need to sort that out. That's like a holocaust that's happening in terms of contrast. But for me, we've made a lot of progress, you know, from growing up in the 70s, from being a black kid, from being called a nigger and all these horrible names to, to where we are today. We've made massive progress. So we're going in the right direction. And OK, we'd like to go faster. But, you know, I don't necessarily agree that we should be writing and shouting about it. What I think we should do is look at what we're doing well and then work out how we can do more of it. Yeah, yeah totally. That's my perspective, and you know, and that's believe me, I've been on the, on the wrong end of racism, you know. But today, I think what's really important is how do we come together? All lives matter. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. With that right attitude, as you've been yeah. talking about, you know what I mean, rather than seeing it as a a massive thing, I can't do why try. It's like no, can do, will try. Do you know what I mean? In something positive, rather than going inert, it's actually doing something right. Yeah, totally. And we're always going to get like somebody will be sexist, some people will be racist, some some people will be against if you're a lesbian, gay, whatever it is. You're always going to get those people. But what we need to do is bring everybody together and focus on what it is that we want instead, and then carry out positive actions with the right mental attitude to work out how we overcome it. Because ignorance isn't bliss it's just ignorance what we need to do though is have a positive goal so what's going to be good about this what's great about this one question that i want to ask you david is like there might be some people watching now or listening now and as you say um about what seneca said a consciousness of wrongdoing is the first step obviously to get anywhere you want to go yeah. now a lot of people might be thinking i know my health is suffering I know I'm not in a good place, but maybe they're scared to take a step or they're not very motivated to take a step. You know, how can we use this really powerful tool of, of positive mental attitude to help us influence ourselves to move forward to taking action? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So, so one of the things that I learned early on was, uh, was from the science of success philosophy. There's a book called Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. And the reason I refer to books is books are the place where people, if you imagine you lived an amazing life, right? And hopefully we all get to live an amazing life, but I mean, an incredible life. And you get to like 85 and you're ready for the knackers yard. <laughs> you're thinking oh my god everybody should know this stuff that i've known it's just been amazing you've got two ways of helping the generations to come and we all want to live we want to learn we want to leave a legacy you can either write a book or you can record an audio book so a lot of people have written their, their memories down they've said these are the things that changed my life yeah. so one of the books that i read like that was written by two of the greats, a guy called William Clement Stone, who lived till he was 100, had 17 kids, built a billion pound business, and was brought up by a single parent. 17 kids? 17 kids, yeah, he did, 17 kids. But he was, I mean, he was born in the early 1900s. Um, he wrote a book with a guy called Napoleon Hill, who wrote the great book, Think and Go Rich. But they wrote a book together that I think is a better book called Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. Yeah. So reaching out and getting some inspiration from somewhere 
inspiration to action being the first thing, that can help you. But one, one of the principles that they talk about is a thing called a master mind alliance. A master mind alliance. Okay. And a master mind alliance, a lot of people think they are oh, going to go in this mastermind group. But in reality, you know, I'm not saying they're bullshit, but they're not masterminds. Because mastermind alliance is about this. Two or more people working in a spirit of harmony to achieve an objective, something in the future. Right? But everybody has to have a motive. So if you're paying for training, you're giving them the money they're paying you, there's a motive. People helping you out for nothing, it just doesn't work. So you want two more people working in a spirit of harmony to working to achieve an objective. Rarely can you do anything on your own. Rarely, if ever. We just don't do it on our own. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, if you're sitting there thinking, I'll oh, just read this book and it'll happen. It's, it's ever so hard for that to happen yeah. um, unless you're unbelievably disciplined. And most people tend to go in there and not have the discipline. So we need somebody to work with to help us achieve our goal, our objective. And the biggest thing is you have to go the extra mile as well. So you've got the right mental attitude. You've got somebody to work with. You've got a goal. And then you've got to go the extra mile. And going the extra mile is about this. It's about rendering more service and a better service than you would ordinarily render doing it all of the time and doing it in, with the right mental attitude. Yeah. So it's no good to say, oh, I'm going to go in the gym, I'll work out. You've got to say, well, I know this is good for me, I need it. You give yourself the kick of the ass and get on with it. You've got to have the right mental attitude. So phone a friend, you know, the old who wants to be a millionaire. You need to phone somebody and get somebody to help you because rarely are you going to do it on your own. And that could be a coach, it could be an online support group. You need that, you need that goal. You need the right mental attitude and then you've got to go the extra mile. You've got to break your comfort zone. And it doesn't have to be big things. It can be little things yeah. done over a period of time, tiny little goals. Now, what can you do this week to be 10% better than what you were last week, which is you know, just a little bit of self-discipline. It could be, well, I'll tell you what I can do. I'll get out of bed earlier in the morning. I'll get up at five o'clock, right? You know, I can never get up at five. You can, you can do it once a week. Right? Yeah. And then work out what to do in those two hours or three hours, whatever the time is that you would normally get up. You know, and and, and just, 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 just get some discipline into your life. Because what will happen is your brain will work out ways for you to then start utilizing that time in a productive way. And one piece of advice, one tip, it's easier to do things at the start of the day than it is at the end of, end of the day. Yeah. Because your, your battery's charged at the start. At the end, your battery's flat. You can have less willpower. You know, when you start the day, the willpower pulls up here. By the end of the day, your willpower pulls down here. It's on its ass. Yeah. So whatever you're going to do, you've got to get it in early because it's going to be hard to do it late. You think I'm going to work out late? No, you're not. No, you're not. You know, if you think, well, I'll tell you what, I want to get fit. Well, how can I get fit? Buy a dog. Buy a bigger dog because you're going to have to walk the bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're going to have to do something and that'll make you exercise if you want to learn something you find the best person you can learn you know so i i have this thing whereby i learn from the best people who have ever walked the earth because i want to know what they said about their life because i want to live like one of those people and you know i've been very fortunate yeah, absolutely. So come on then, David, what are your, what are your goals then? Because, you know, I mean, already we've, you know, um, Paula has said, David is making so much sense, inspiring, totally resonating with me and my backstory too. So like you've literally just proved that no matter where you come from or what excuse or you think you are, you can smash that. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So what are your, what are your goals for the future? What are they? Um, if you look at my backstory, and this is no shit, you can speak to anybody that knows David Thompson. Nobody, I mean, nobody that I went to school with would have ever said, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to make millions of pounds. You're going to, you know, have Ferrari. You're going to have all that, all, you know, all of those kind of, I was never getting that. That was like, <laughs> you're having a laugh. <laughs> Most likely, least likely, yeah, putting down there. Um, but life doesn't work like that. Um, so, you know, I went from being the practitioner that wanted to be really good at what I did, then to teaching other people. And, you know, my, my, my um, I guess, life, life learnings. One time I wanted to build a massive insurance business and take people in and teach them to be financial advisors. However, what, what I didn't recognize was what, when I teach people and I make them better, they become super ambitious. 
right? So if you're taking a load of people in, you make them financial advisors, eventually what they're going to want to do is they're going to want to be like you. They're going to want to be David Thompson. They're going to say, well, I don't want to work for him. I want to do what he's doing. So that's what I tend to do. I tend to inspire people. So from building a business and having loads of financial advisors come and work for me, and then when they leave, they take the clients with them. So that really hurts. <laughs> so I'm like, you build this business, you go in here, then you take a step back. And so I learned a lot about business from the perspective of the thing that I'm best at is teaching other people. That's what I'm best at. I'm, I'm, if somebody said to me, I want to learn how to be more persuasive, more influential, I want to know how to sell, then to me, that's a superpower. You know, if you could give anybody a superpower, how to be persuasive and influential, everybody should know that. There was a study done by a guy called Dan Pink, Dan Pink, and he wrote a great book called To Sell is Human, To Sell is Human. And what he worked out was studying people in America that even on non-sales jobs, the average person spent three hours a day trying to persuade or trying to influence somebody to do something, right? They're trying to persuade three hours a day. So it's a little bit like, imagine you've got to go to the shop every day, yeah. right? And it's going to take you 45 minutes to get to the shop, 45 minutes to get back. And you have to do that twice every day, every single day, right? So that's... 40% of your day if you're in a work, working environment, yeah. right? And you're struggling there to do it every bloody day. And somebody else can go to the shop and come back and they can do it in minutes, much better than you can. They get there in two minutes. They've got a ladder, if you like. They just go straight to the shop. They're there and back in a few minutes. And it's taking you three hours. How long is it going to be before you're going to say, well, hold on a minute. I want to learn how they're doing it because they're much better than me. How long would it take you? Yeah. Probably one trip. <laughs> you think, well, hang on, hold on a minute. This is taking the best. I'm walking all the way around. Somebody else has got a ladder. They can go there and they'll go back. So what happens in life is people have to try and persuade. They try, have to try and influence, but they don't never learn how to do it. That's my perspective. They never learn how to be persuasive. And you don't, you, you, you don't um, find people that are natural persuaders or natural influencers. That's just bullshit. You learn and you build them. They're built, not made. I'm evidence of that. You build them. You learn about a positive mental attitude. You learn about negotiation. You learn about framing and you build it. And then all of a sudden you get to the shop and back in a few minutes. So Dan Pink in his study worked out people are spending 40 their days trying to persuade and influence. And I looked around the world and I thought, who's really teaching this? Who's teaching it? And I thought, people are teaching point solutions, people are teaching negotiation or framing or closing or whatever, but nobody's teaching the whole syllabus. So I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a business where I'm going to teach people to be able to persuade like goddesses, right? And the goddess of persuasion, the Roman goddess of persuasion was called Sueda, S-U-A-D-A, Sueda, Sueda.com. And I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach the world how to be persuasive and how to get in, be more influential so you can get life to pay off in your terms. So if you're in a sales role, you, you, you get people wanting to buy from you. If you're in a leadership role, you can get your people wanting to work from you. If you're, in a, if, you're in a, if you're a big boss of a big company, you can hire people and teach them how to be persuasive and how to be influential. So that's where, that's where I started my focus. I started there three years ago and I've helped loads of people and in the last 20 years, I've helped hundreds of people be outrageously successful. And every week I get messages saying, some of the stuff you changed, you changed me. You've changed the fabric of who I am. Whenever I think about doing this, you've changed me. So that's what my focus is on now, teaching people how to be persuasive and influential. And a couple of years ago, I worked with a guy who helped Barack Obama get elected into the White House. He advised Obama on his campaign. His name's Dr. Robert Cialdini. And he's the world's leading social psychologist on the topic of persuasion. Yeah. And he's, and he's a university professor. And every day, somebody requests to go and work with this guy. Every day, every single day gets requests, be a certified trainer to come and work with me. And he'll teach you how to persuade, how to influence. Right. And every day he says no. And in fact, in the last three years, he's only worked with three people. And I'm one of them. And right. what he's taught me how to do is how to teach persuasion and also persuasion and these two courses i'm one of half a dozen people in the world that can teach these courses so i thought what i'm going to do i'm going to bottle that and i'm going to take my 30 years experience from the 1990s current day and i'm going to build it into a training platform into a training course and i'm going to do two things 
for people that want to go out to the big wide world, that want to persuade, that want to influence, be it in sales, be it in leadership, be it in marketing, I'm going to teach them how to do it. But for people that want to teach it, I'm going to give them a platform with all of my training, all of my education that's in it, and they'll take, they can take 50% of the profits, and, they can, and this will be a learning platform that they can put inside of a business, and they can teach other people how to do it, other businesses how to do it. So they're the two things that I'm focused on, teaching people to be more persuasive, which is amazing, and also teaching people how to teach how to be more persuasive. So they're, they're the two things. So if you want to learn it for you, come to me, I can help you. And if you want to learn it to teach, I'll teach you how to do it and I'll give you a platform so you can go to the big wide world. Because what you know is 2020 will be like 2008, only, only more people will want to go and row their own boat and do things that are meaningful and add value to people's lives. So that's what Suede is all about, learning how to persuade like a goddess of persuasion. And also um, very much like, yeah, you can use this in business, but... You can use this in your personal life as well. If you want to lose weight, find the relationship. Um, maybe you're a, a young lad. I know that you've got a bit of a story on that one. You know, persuade your way back. But the thing is, if you're, if you're a person and you know about persuasion, how much more value can you add to a conversation? If you can say, I understand the science of human behavior and decision making, social psychology, and, you know, effectively, it's like getting a degree in persuasion, only it's from an practical perspective, not just academic. So everything I've done is backed up by behavioral science, but it's also practical. So I thought people will want this. They'll want this in their thousands, in their millions. So that's, that's, that's what I've set up to do. So that's what I've started doing, making all video on an app um, in workshops and just making it fun. And I tested it out um, a couple of years ago. I worked for 18, with 18 months with a company called the British Standards Institution, a global business, helping their people. And their sales jumped through the roof. That Their people are empowered. And I still get messages to this day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So it works in business and it definitely works in real life because when you know these things, you can get the ideal partner if you want them because you become a more rounded, a more learned being. And obviously, you know, you can get your own way, which... In reality, that's what we want to be happy. We want our own way. So if you've got the tools to get it, then better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so before we go, we, you know, we need to hear this story about your son and how he used this to get back into school because this just is perfect in that if you know this stuff, you've got the right attitude, what this can actually get you. And as Dave is telling you this story, I want you to think about what is it that I really want and how could I use this attitude and perhaps this way of persuasion to not just persuade myself, but maybe something else in my life to happen. Cool. So an amazing story, right? In, um, I'd started working with a load of personal trainers, helping them to be more persuasive, more influential. Laurie, Barry, you guys know. And I thought, what do you know about persuasion and influence? Most people didn't know about the right mental attitude, didn't know about negotiation, didn't know about framing, didn't know about influence. So I started working with you guys um, when the body transformation was about, you know, quite yeah. a few years ago now. And genuinely loved it. And I thought, I'm going to spend my time helping people to be more successful when it comes to persuasion and influence. And then I looked for the world's leading social psychologist on the topic. Let me just get a book on. <laughs> Off you guys. And there's this book called Influence, right? It's written by this guy on the back here. His name's Dr. Robert Cialdini. So, the book Influence, this is the fifth edition. If you can get this one, it's the best book to read on it. So I thought, this is a really interesting topic. I'm going to go and do a course on influence with uh, Dr. Cialdini. And while I was there, I thought, oh, I'd love to be able to teach this. Because it's about the six shortcuts that human beings take every single day um, to influence and persuade. Just six simple steps that people, people, people take. And so I went and did a course. And, you know, there's a lot to it, but it's, it's monstrously powerful. So I went and did this course. And then I asked if I could be one of Dr. Cialdini's certified trainers. And he said, yeah, I'd like you to be one of my certified trainers. I'd be delighted. So I went back and I studied um, um, to, to, in, my, in my home um, to, to be able to teach persuasion and influence. Now, you have to understand, the guy that's going to be teaching me charges $100,000 for one day with him. 
Wow. One day, right, 100 grand a day. So he's the biggest fish in the world. He helped Obama get elected. You know, he's the world's most quoted psychologist, social psychologist on the topic of him. He's got, so I'm studying and my reading is not great. It's not better than the cap. So I'm reading this thing. And my son, David, we call him T. His, his name's David Thompson. I'm David Thompson as well. He, he comes in and he says, what are you doing, Dave? And I said, oh, I'm studying. I said, uh, the science of influence, the shortcuts human beings take. Now, at this point, he's 14 years old, right? He's 14 years old at the time, right? And uh, he's helping me study this, this influence. And I'm studying. I'm studying for months. It's not, it's not a short thing. And he's reading to me. And he said, this is really useful. I can use this. This is really useful. And he's loving what, what he's getting. And... Um, Anyway, I go back, I start working with Dr. Cialdini and he learns about the science of persuasion and influence and tells me how wonderful it is. And, uh, you know, and obviously I'm raving about how wonderful it is. And last year, he's 16, he decides that he's had enough of the school that he's been going to. He goes to Wellingborough School, it's a private school, one of the top schools in the country. Not like some of the schools I went to, they were rubbish. This is a brilliant school. But anyway, he goes to this school, but he gets his GCSE results. And his GCSE results are not the best. To put it into contrast, his bigger sister is a year older at school. She's just got her GCSE results. She gets 10 A's and A stars or whatever. Wow. And one B. So Hannah's the golden child. She's, and she goes to another school, which is called Uppingham. It's a boarding school. It's one of the top boarding schools in the world. You know, so she goes there. So T doesn't. He gets whatever two A's and four B's. It's like, you know, it's nothing like Hannah's 10 A's and, and a couple of C's and it's, um, it's bang average, but he blames the school, the teacher. You know, have you ever had a time in your life when you've blamed other people for your oh, yeah. performance? So, so he does, so it's crap school, crap teachers, crap, whatever. And anyway, he's leaving. So on the last day of school, I, um, I, I pull into his school to pick him up and, uh, it's a beautiful summer's day. I drive through those big black gates at Wellingborough School for what I think is going to be the last time, you know. And, and it's, it's a stunning place. And he's, he walks down with his blazer over his shoulder, like, <laughs> and I said, I said, all right, mate. And he says, yeah. said, he said, yep. And you know when somebody's not saying something, but you know they've got something to say, they've said or done something. I said, want to tell me? He went, nope, my last day here. <laughs> okay so the night before i'd watched the film crazy young a a asians and uh, there's a song by a by a thing called glorious everybody should listen to this song it's a, by macklemore so macklemore played this song called glorious and uh, i thought it'd be really good to put that on as we drive out that car park and he's going to go on to his next new big school and so I put Glorious on this, and it's playing, and it's saying, I feel glorious, glorious. I'll get a chance to start again. That's the words. And so anyway, we're loving it. We're both singing it. And as, as we pull out the car park, I'm looking in his eyes, looking in my eyes. And, you know, we, we, we just smile, you know, just like tears of like, it's like, like happy, happy, happy times. The boys are on. And it's the summer last year, last summer. Beautiful, beautiful spring day. And then in September, he starts his new school, which is called Kim Bolton School, Kim Bolton School. Google it, it's got its own castle. Everybody wears purple uniforms, it's like, and it's a boarding school, he's gonna do what his sister's gonna do, he's gonna get his qualifications. And a school with a castle, can you imagine? They were, you know, that was un unheard of. So anyway, he starts his new school, and within a month, I said, how are you getting on? And he says, I'm doing amazing. He said, I'm one of the cleverest kids here. They must be all stupid here. And I'm like, no, how about you started working where you are right now? Anyway. I'm picking him up from his boarding school and uh, he said, I don't really like it. And I'm like, forget it, mate. And he's like, no, I wouldn't mind going back to Wellingborough School. I'm like, no, no way. Anyway, we get to Christmas time and we're sat around the dinner table in, you know, in the house and I'm asking the kids what they want for Christmas. Millie, my youngest, 11 years old, um, she wants half the Argos catalogue. And I'm like, tick, you can have it. <laughs> and Mariah, Mariah Carey's playing in the background, All I Want for Christmas on Alexa. All I want for Christmas is you. Ask Hannah what she wants. And she says, I want a gap year. She's just doing a GC. She's just done her A-levels and she's going to get straight A's. I'm like, no, you're not having a gap year. We agree that she can have a trip around Europe, which obviously didn't happen this summer. Yeah. And then my son, T, you know, who's 16 years old, he's sitting there. I'm looking at him. So what do you want, mate? Nothing. And he looks miserable. So I'm like, hmm. So I'm taking the dishes through into the room. I said, what's wrong with tea? 
And Hannah says, I think you better have a word with him, Dad. I said, why? She said, he really wants to go back to Wellingborough School. Oh, forget it, no way. She goes, no, he's depressed, really depressed. I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course, so what? She goes, well, you know that kid in my school last year, in Uppingham School? She said, he was really depressed and he shot himself. I'm like, right. She said, T said the other day that he felt like jumping off the roof of the castle. Wow. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I can get him back into Wellingborough quick. Yeah. So I said to him, what's wrong, mate? And so... We ring up Wellingborough School. I ring at Wellingborough School on the Monday. That's the Sunday. I ring at Wellingborough School, speak to the head of admissions and say, you know, can my son come back to your school? He'd really like to come back. He misses it dearly. He's, he made a mistake. And the, the head of Wellingborough School um, puts me through to the head of admissions. I think the lady's name was Debbie there. I can't remember for sure, but Trisha, her name was Debbie. And she said, oh, yes, certainly, David. I'll put you in to see the new headmaster on Friday morning. This is Monday. I'm like, cool. I'm like, hey, we're back. And then I said to T, I said, it looks like whatever, you could be going back, mate. He's like, yeah, happy days. The next day, or the day after, I think it was the Wednesday, I'll get a call missed on my phone saying, hi, David, it's Mrs. Williams, or whatever her name was from Wellingborough School. Um, please do not bring your son in on Friday morning. Um, he said, but you need to call me. On, please call me immediately. So I'm, I'm ringing up. And I spoke to her, and I'm sure her name was Debbie initially. And I said, like, can I speak to Debbie? She said, no, Mrs. Williams speaking. I'm like, Hello, it's David Thompson. Yes, your son said some nasty things on the last day when he was here, uh, uh, whatever, and he's not welcome, he's not coming back to the school. I'm like, I'm sure he only said something, we all said something out of hand, you know, can we come in and speak to the headmaster? No, do not come in on Friday morning, your appointment with the headmaster is cancelled, please do not come into the school. Goodbye. What? Oh, my oh my god so i said to my son i picked him up from school that night and he's we sat in the car and i said man i've got some really bad news and he said what i said well i've come back and said no they don't want you back apparently you said some really nasty things to the head of lower six and you're not welcome and I went, what did you say and he said oh I said, what did you say and he said, oh, he made me sign in and he made me wear this lanyard and he made me do this. I said, what did you see? He said, I called him the C word. <laughs> oh, my God. I said, you're never getting back in. They're never going to let you back in. No chance you're gone. He went, hold on a minute, Dad. I didn't kill anybody. I went, oh, yeah, I know you didn't kill anybody, mate. I said, but, you know, what you said, I said, you're never getting back in. He's I said, and they said no. And he came back to me and he repeated, like from this book, one of the things that you learn when you learn about influence is there's a moment of power after people says no to say no to you. And he says, what about the moment of power after you said after no, dad? You know what we learned from Caldini. <laughs> I'm like, mate, after what you've done, you've got no chance. I went, hold on a minute. We're going to use some of your influence skills and get me back into that school. But mate, they don't want you. And then he said the words, he said, dad, Where's your positive mental attitude? Oh, I'll tell you what, I said, I'll give you a hand. I said, but you're going to have to write them the best letter ever. And he says, I will. All right. So anyway, so he writes into the headmaster. Um, Dear Mr. Headmaster, um, this is David Thompson. I understand the head of Lower Six and you've had a meeting. I'm not welcome back at the school. He said, I'm sure as you recognise, I made a mistake. I'm sure when you were 16, you made some mistakes. Many of the 16-year-olds made mistakes. He said, but to quote the famous Richard Branson, life's not about getting right the first time. It's about second chances, sometimes third, fourth, even fifth chances. He said, in the school's values, it quotes about going out, spreading your wings, coming back and bringing new things. I've done that and I've realised that Wellingborough School is a great school. And he's bringing in the moment of power after no. He's giving them genuine praise. He's stating that they're going to be consistent with their values. Anyway, so the headmaster says, I'll think about it over the half-term break. Um, and then he comes back to me and he says, mm, what else can I do, Dad? He said, what about if I use the principle of social proof and I'll get other people to say I'd like to come back to the school? So he writes into all the teachers at school and says, I'm thinking about coming back to Wellingborough School, all the ones that liked him. What do you think about it? And they all come back and say, oh, yes, David, that'd be great. We'd love to see you again. We'd love to see you again. Tells them that you know, he's learnt new things. And he sends all these emails to the headmaster. And then he does a master stroke. He sends a, a, an email to, to Mr. Wiseman, the guy that he, he swore at. And he apologises to him, telling him he made a mistake. He's learned from it. He wish he'd never done it. He'd never do it again. Anyway, we get this email back saying, 
uh, and a callback from Debbie. Debbie's back again, right? So, Debbie, yeah. hi, David. He's <laughs> Debbie from Wellingborough School. Um, the headmaster said he'd like to see you, you and your son on Friday morning. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so we, we pull in on a cold winter's morning, right, um, just before Christmas. And um, so just after Christmas in January. And uh, we, we pull into the car park. And we go and sign in the office, put the lanyard on, and we're walking through the school things. And, and then we walk into the headmaster's office, and the sun's beating through, like it's like it's almost blinding. And Debbie looks exactly like I thought she would, big glasses and everything else, just, just like it would. The headmaster says, Oh, Mr. Thompson, oh, good to see you. And my son comes out and he says, um, the headmaster, first thing I want to say, thank you for seeing me today. He said, I'd like to talk. He said, what, what, one thing I've learned from being at this school, what a brilliant school this is. He said, no, I've gone away and I've made some mistakes. He said, but I think the school's made some mistakes as well. So what do you mean? He said, when I was going to leave this school, he said, you never had anybody in here like me that could tell me what I stood to lose by leaving this school, as opposed to what I stood to gain by going to the other school bringing in the principle of scarcity, something he'd learned about. He said, had you got me in this school? He said, to talk to the pupils and tell them if they thought, ever thought about leaving this school, what they stood to lose, as opposed to what they'd gained by going to a new school. He said, I think that would have been a massive asset. And one thing I'd like to do, whether I come back to the school or I don't, he said, I'd like to be able to speak on the school's behalf and telling everybody what a brilliant school Wellingborough School is bring in reciprocity anyway hey, by the end of it the headmaster was like you welcome back at the school <laughs> welcome, welcome back in so as we're walking through the playground we're walking back to these beautiful girls come up say dave you coming back in give them a big hug and we get in the car and we drive out the car park and this time i'll put macklemore on and it and, and you know and it's play and play glorious again and this time i'm looking in his eye instead of tears of happiness it's like tears of relief tears of, tears of joy and it's like whoa mate what <laughs> and so that's about learning those influence yeah. principles and and here's the, here's the message right okay if we learn right if we learn about persuasion and influence we can change our lives yeah but if we teach it to kids they can change the world. Yeah. That's Amazing. Powerful. And I and yeah. I think that is a perfect way to round this up because that I'm just gonna leave you guys just to think on that. Do you know what I mean? Without a shadow of a doubt. I think that is a really powerful message. Oh my gosh, David, I have so enjoyed today. We've had some amazing comments come through. In actual fact, one lady said, also very passionate about empowering children with dyslexia too. Do you know what I mean? So brilliant talk. Um, some of the sayings you said are going to stick in people's heads. So motivating. So thank you so, so much. David, before we leave, you know, if people have really loved this talk and they want to know more about you, they want to learn more about this, where's the best place for them to go to? So I've, I've done a series on LinkedIn, teaching some things on influence. It's free videos, free, free of charge. And you can find me on LinkedIn at David Thompson. Thompson is T-H-O-M-S-O-N-C-M-C-T. Maybe you can put a link in the thing. So you'll find me, Dave, David Thompson, Caldini Method Certified Trainer. You can get me there. You can obviously find me from this Facebook thing. So if you tag me in on Facebook, alternatively, you can send me an email david at sweda.com sweda's s-u-a-d-a.com so you know get me in any of those places if you go on linkedin you'll see a few little videos that i've posted on some things on influence and of course if you want to learn more i run training courses and that you know more than happy to get involved excellent and guys you would be well just stupid if you don't go and check that out personally to be honest because i think we all need these skills in our lives so guys if you have enjoyed this then please share it you never know who you're going to help today by sharing that if you found some nuggets in this trust me it's going to help somebody else and i always say the only reason we're all here and we're growing is because we're passing information down to each other and as you guys know it's our mission and our passion to build a community of like-minded people who want to change their habits and behaviors and create their own version of health and well-being so guys thank you so much for listening we're going to um, kick off here and carry on the after party as well i always say have an absolutely fantastic week thank you david so much and we'll see you guys all very soon thanks for listening to this episode of the fit mind project please support us on itunes and spotify by rating us and leaving us a review it helps us so much you can also watch these podcasts on YouTube or on our Rock Solid Facebook page at Rock Solid Health. This is what we're all about. 
We're about growing a community of like-minded people that want to change their lives, to feel better than they are at the moment. We help them find their version of health so they can be healthier and happier. And remember guys, you're awesome.